Luke chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 46. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 46. I'm going to read um, through 50. It says, an argument started among the disciples. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is great. Master, said John, we we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. It's not a lot of verses, but there's a lot of meat in there. And so we just want to break it uh, down a little bit this morning. I want, to, I want to start here because I think it's really important that we notice what's going on. And so here's, here's the first thing I think we all need to get this morning. Because we, we, we would count ourselves, if we're here today and we've accepted Christ, we'd count ourselves, we're in that category of what we would call disciples. We're disciples of Christ, okay? And so we need to begin with this truth of this text that even uh, disciples are prone to pride and seeking positions of prominence. Even disciples are prone to pride and seeking positions of, of prominence. And, and this is exactly what's happened, right? So the, the disciples have finally figured out who Christ is. That's Peter, right? And Jesus says, who am I? Uh, who do the crowds I am? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you are Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus immediately explains what that means. He says, the son of man is going to be rejected by the chief priests and the elders. He's going to be handed over. He, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. And he's going to raise again on the third day. And like, Jesus like, lays that out. This is what me being the Messiah means for me. This is what I'm going to have to do. And he says, and here's what you're going to have to do. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to follow me. That means you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, which by the way, uh, the cross wasn't jewelry back then. It wasn't something that was pretty that you would hang around your neck. It was something that you would carry and die on, right? And so he's saying like, this is not a pretty thing. He didn't paint a pretty picture. He says, you're going to have to die to yourself daily. And he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. This this, This isn't great imagery. This, this isn't one of those awe-inspiring moments, right? I mean, I mean you, you think about you're about to step on the field and, and somebody tells you about the greatness and the immortality you're about to achieve as long as you go, right? No, Jesus is going, ah, no, not so much. I, I mean, if it were a game, if it were a sport, he's going to say, okay, now listen, you're going to go out there and you're going to get beat up and battered and bruised, right? You're going to lose big time. And when you do, you'll be the greatest winner there ever was. And the team looks like, uh, I'm not so sure you're the motivational speaker we thought you were. And so, so Jesus explains it. So he lays out the plan of God. He says, here's the plan for me. Here's the plan for you. Then he, he explains to him, it's, it's not going to be easy, right? But he says it's going to be worth it. He says, it's going to be so worth it. In fact, I, I want you to know how worth it's, it, it's going to be. I'm going to let a, a handful of you see just how worth it it's going to be. And, and, and so then he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. They see him in all of his glory. They get a glimpse of heaven. And, and now they have come down from the mountain. And as we saw last week, uh, there's still a problem. Jesus has laid out the plan. 
plan for him, the plan for them. He's shown them his glory. And now, in our text this morning, uh, remember last week, they still didn't understand the plan. Right? He actually laid out the plan again. So now he's, he said, this is what's going to happen to me. Twice, he said, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to raise again on Thursday. And they still don't get it. So what we have... What we have is, is this problem, these guys that don't understand the plan, they're too afraid to ask. And so now they are envisioning how they will fit into this glorious plan of God that they don't understand. And they're arguing over which role they're going to play, which person is going to carry the most weight, have the greatest impact, have the, the place of most significance, the position of prominence. And that's what that word means. Greatest. It says they're arguing who's going to be great. It means greatest, strongest, largest. Uh, if you go back to the root word, it talks about weight. Who's going to carry the most weight? Who's going to have the greatest impact? Who's going to see, uh, sit in, in, in the greatest position? And, and see, the problem is they right now are very much like the Pharisees. They don't understand that this kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and not an earthly physical kingdom. The Pharisees were waiting on a political kingdom. The disciples right now are believing that's going to be the case too. So they honestly think that there's going to be some kind of physical position for them on earth. I mean, you can imagine the fight. Well, who's going to be vice president, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean who, who, who's going to be secretary of state? This is the conversation we'd have here in America. Well, who, who, who's going to be the, the chief of staff? Who's going to get that position? Who, 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 who's going to be the, 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 the head of the House or, or the head of the Senate? So the, the arguing is going on. Who's going to have the position of, of authority, right? Who's going to have the most power? And you can almost hear Peter saying, well, clearly it should be me. You guys didn't even know who he was. God's the one that showed me who he is, right? And, and then John kind of chimes in, whoa, 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 Peter. Don't think too highly of yourself, right? I'm the one he loves. Right? I mean, that's what John would write, the, the disciple whom Jesus loves. John's like, well, he loves me. Right? And then James chimes up, well, hold on, brother, right? talking to John. <laughs> yeah, 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 he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. But he didn't just call you, he called us. Whatever you get, I get a part of. You hear the argument? You hear the argument? And, and think about, this is how sad it is, right? Just imagine this. They have just seen Jesus in all of his glory... They've heard his plan twice, which involves him being crucified, dying, being buried and raised again. They've heard this twice. They come down from the mountain and instead of focusing on the glory and the majesty of Jesus that they've just experienced. Instead of focusing on the glory and the majesty of Jesus, instead of exalting him, they begin to exalt themselves. They began to exalt themselves. See it? And, and before we wave a finger, going, oh, guys, I can't believe you do that, right? We better stop and look in the mirror. Because all disciples, every single one of us in this room that has accepted Christ and is living, trying to live for Jesus' name's sake, we all do this. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. All disciples struggle with, with pride, even the inner three. And that's one of the points that uh, you know, I shared with, with pastors even. It's a struggle amongst pastors. It's one of the great problems in, 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 in the church today, in my opinion, right? There are a lot of pastors that, that uh, have convinced themselves that success equals how many butts are in the seat on Sunday morning. 
And, 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 and so, so the, the goal of being a pastor, I'll be honest with you right now, for a lot of young seminary kids, and, and, I, and I, I, I even speak to some that are getting ready to go, they, they honestly think the goal of, of their Christian duty is to go be famous for Jesus. And friends, I'm just here to tell you, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're a pastor or you're just sitting in the pew, if your goal is to be famous for Jesus, then you're not going to be faithful. Jesus is already famous. He is God. You don't get much more famous than that. He calls the sun and the moon out every single day. He tells the stars where they can sit, and he tells the sea where it has to stop. Right? Everything in all of creation naturally bows down and worships him. Everything except us naturally does it. Okay? He is famous. He is famous. The Bible says if, if, if we don't worship him, right, the rocks are going to cry out. And so I, what, I, what I share with you know, pastors is, is this, this truth. Listen, God's goal for you is to be faithful. Now, he, he may elevate you to a place, but unfortunately, we see a lot of men that they're seeking to elevate themselves to that place. I'll talk about that a little bit in a moment, but I just want to start here. Guys, even disciples are prone to pride and seeking positions of prominence, and, and that's going to have a great impact when we get to the application. Okay, second thing I want you to see this morning in our text is that our mindset must be one of humility where we seek to serve others. Look at verse 47 and 48. Uh, It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child, and he had him sit beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is great. He is great. I I love this account. Now, Mark says that he comes back, and and they come back. uh, They arrive in Capernaum, and then Jesus asks them, hey, what were you talking about on the road? And they don't answer him, and then... And then, you know, Jesus, I kind of like Luke's account. He kind of leaves out some details. But he, he, it's just one, it, it seems more like a Jesus moment, you know. So they're arguing on the road, and Jesus doesn't say anything about it. And he, he just, you know, and they, they kind of they get back to town. And, and Jesus is just like, hey, hey, little one, come here. And he just sets him in front of the disciples. Doesn't even, doesn't even like say anything. He's just, he just knows their thoughts. And so he brings this little one before his disciples, uh, and uh, he has this little one stand behind him. Now, that little child in, in Greek, it's a young child, an infant, a little one, um, po- probably a, a toddler, three to four, uh, maybe. This is, a, this is a little, little child. And you need to understand what Jesus is doing. Little children in this culture, in Jewish culture, really didn't mean a whole lot to the men. So the disciples are all men, right? And, and, and so, so, so little kids in this culture didn't have a lot of value because they couldn't do anything yet. So, so couldn't do anything. They, you, you're just, just, well, whatever. And so this is why in the, in the Bible, when you read, hey, feeding of 5,000, they didn't count women and children. This is why when, when you read the disciples were holding back the children, keeping them away from, why would they do that? Because the children weren't important. The disciples were going, no, we need to let the really important people in. We need to let the men come to Jesus. They're holding back. And that's why Jesus has to say to them, no. Let the children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, right? 
And, and, and so uh, Jesus is breaking down these barriers. And so just, just background, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever welcomes this little child in my name, this insignificant one welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes my father. For he who is the least among you all, he is great. Two really huge words in Greek. Well, one's really small, one's really huge. He was the least among you. It's the Greek word micros, where we would get microscope. It's, it's itty bitty, teeny tiny, have to see through a magnified lens, tiny small. And the word great is megas in the Greek. Mega, mega blocks are huge. Or, you know, this is, this is the, if, if you've ever had to mess with Legos, if you had children or grandchildren, right? There are little pieces of Legos that you will step on and, and, and will puncture your foot, right? You can't see them and you get them in the vacuum cleaner and they break your really expensive vacuum cleaner over and over and over and over and you finally give up and buy the cheap $30 vacuum cleaners because you know you're going to ruin the other one, right? So, my cross. And then there's the mega. It's the big, it's like, 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 Something that you could only see a parasite under a microscope versus a monster truck. Whoever wants to be really big, it's going to have to be really, really insignificant. Now, what does that mean? See, this is a concept that Jesus doesn't just teach, but it's a concept that he lives out. I mean, just think about Philippians 2. I'll read a little bit of it. If you want to turn there, you can. But Philippians 2, I think Paul describes this perfectly. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became nothing. He's modeling. I mean, that's his incarnation. This is why he came. Jesus was born to become nothing for us. So he's born for. He modeled it in the upper room as, as he, right, God, got down on his hands and feet, took off his outer garment, and he washed the feet of men that were about to betray him, men that were about to run away and leave him. He washed their feet so that as they were running, they might be clean. Of course, he, he modeled that on the cross. Think about his death. Think, think about the fact that he was beaten. Was he guilty of anything? He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was nailed to a cross. Hung between two thieves. Son of God. Humbled himself, Right? So Jesus lived this out. He also, he also taught this. Luke chapter 14, which we'll get to here in a little while. Luke chapter 14. If you want to turn ahead, turn with me there. Luke chapter 14. I want to read you verse 7 through 11. I think it has a lot to do with our text today. Luke chapter 14, starting verse 7, says, When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he's at a Pharisee's house, by the way, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, 
you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, that's the point that Jesus is making in Luke chapter 9. Ready? The disciples are arguing about who gets to take the seat of honor in the kingdom of God. They're arguing about who's going to sit in the seat of prominence. So that, 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 that's the argument. Who, who, who gets these kind of chairs? Who, who sits around the king's table? Of course, you know, the point is that he makes in Luke 14 is you, you don't ever take the seat of, of honor. You don't, get, you don't get to decide that. That's kind of what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You don't get to decide this, right? right? Who, who, who decides this? The host of the banquet decides this, decides the seating arrangement. So he says, so when you go to a banquet, here's, here's the key. You always go, and he brings the little child. He says, here's your seat. See this kid? This is where you should sit. Now, in Jewish culture, the women and the children usually did not sit at at the table with the men, much less in seats of honor. So he brings up the little kid and he says, here, here's the key. Here's your attitude. Here's your aim. When you go somewhere, here's your attitude in life. You should always go and sit at the kid's table. This should be your mindset right here. You go and you take the lower seat. And you let God be the one that exalts you. You let God be the one that exalts you. Now, friends, I'm going to be honest. This is ridiculous, isn't it? This chair barely fits my backside. My knees don't feel comfortable. But this is my place. And it is your place, too. And that may be hard to swallow. But it's the truth. Because this is the seat that Jesus chose to sit in in order to save us. This is the seat that he chose to take. He came to be the suffering servant of all. He came to identify with the the insignificant of the world because he came to be what the world considered insignificant in order to save us. We should always choose this seat. This place. So we've got to get comfortable here. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Our mindset must be one of humility where we seek to serve others to take the lowest seat. Okay? Lastly, uh, I want to share this with you because it's, it's here. And I think it, it, it speaks a lot to um, church culture today and, and where, um, unfortunately, the, the state of, of the church as a whole globally is. Uh, Verse 49 and 50 says, uh, Master, said John, the loved disciple says this, John. Now, remember, by the way, at this point, John is still a son of thunder, okay? Jesus is going to die. He's going to come back. And John's life is going to be radically changed. And everything he writes is going to be about love. That doesn't happen yet, okay? He's still a son of thunder. Um, we'll find that out next week, okay? But, but here, here it is. So he's, Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he, get this language, is not one of us. Doesn't that sound like your child? Doesn't that just sound like, he's, he's not one of us. He can't play with my toys. Not one of us. 
can't say he's my friend. He's not one of us. He's not one of us. Jesus rebukes them. He says, do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. And so here's the last uh, principle I want to share with you this morning. I want you to see this morning that the kingdom of God is bigger than we think. The kingdom of God is, is, is bigger than we think, right? We stopped him because he is not one of us. And Jesus responds, whoever's not against you is for you. Listen, uh, God's kingdom is really, 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 really big. It just is. And too often we look at people specifically from other denominations and we just see everything that they have wrong and we think it is our place to point out every fault in their life and, and what happens, believe it or not, is, is people that are supposed to be on our side, we have made our enemies. We have. We, we've decided that there are our enemies just because of how they may practice their Christian faith, right? And, and so I, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to say it in love. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher for crying out loud. I think largely that we get the doctrine right most of the time. I think we've abused it in the past. We've taught things like, like you can't drink and you can't dance. We know those things aren't biblical. We don't teach those things here. Teach the Bible because it's the word of God, not the ways of man. So I'm, I'm, please hear me. The kingdom of God is bigger than Baptist. It is more massive than the Methodist. It's more colossal than all of Catholicism. It's much larger than the Lutherans. It's more prodigious than the Presbyterians. It's considerable enough for all the cowboys. It has enough room for all those with Reformed theology. And it's ample enough for all the Arminians. It is. The kingdom of God is, is bigger than we think. That's what Jesus is referring to in verse 50. His disciples in their pride. Remember this is all about pride. His disciples in their pride have, have believed that they have exclusive rights to him. Wait, wait a second, you're talking about my Jesus. They, they, they think, now, now hear me, if anyone in the history of mankind should have exclusive claim to Jesus, it's these guys, right? It's these guys. They have left everything behind to follow him. Everything. They've left family, they've left friends, they've left jobs, they've left money, they've left it all behind to follow. If anybody in the history of mankind has a right to say, you're not one of us, it's these guys. It's these guys. And they do. They say, you're not one of us, stop it. And Jesus rebukes them. Friends, if he rebukes them, what would he say to us? Right? If he rebukes the guys that have a right to say, you're not one of us, you don't get it, you're not really a follower, you haven't left everything behind, am I speaking to anybody here? You ever said that to somebody else, to some nominal Christian, question their faith, question whether or not they're saved, right? Oh man, they don't really get it. God, God, they haven't left everything behind like me. I'm just going to tell you, if Jesus says this to his 12 guys, if he says it to his inner three don't you think that he won't say the same thing to you and me? The point is, Jesus is for everyone. For all who believe, the scripture says. So brothers and sisters, please hear me. 
Because you might have lined up the wrong person in your sights. You, you might be about to pull the trigger on a brother or sister that's just of a different denomination. They just have different practices than us. They, they have some different theological beliefs maybe. But you might be about to commit spiritual friendly fire. So I just want to encourage you to pause for a moment and, and, and to just think about this with me before you pull the trigger. The church, those who truly confess Jesus is Lord, the church is all on the same team. Everybody who truly confesses Jesus is Lord is all on the same team. And so I, I just I had this thought, even if we don't agree on methods of baptism, or the meaning of communion, or how reformed is too reformed. That's the big one these days. Almost split the Baptist convention last week, two weeks ago. What if we took our sights off one another and we actually placed them on the enemy? What, what, what if we decided, instead of taking out one another, that we would actually take out the prince of darkness, that we would represent the prince of peace in every place we saw evil and injustice. We would give ourselves entirely to putting it to an end. What would our world look like then? What would people see in us? I tell you, they would see a church united around taking care of the injustice of our world. It'd be a different world. It'd be a different place. It'd be a different place. Now hear me, that's not a free pass for false prophets. It's not a free pass for heretics, and that's not a free pass for cults. I'm going to be honest with you, the New Testament is, is filled with warnings against those kind of people. What I'm saying, though, is, is that for the brothers and sisters of the faith, we would largely call those the denominations, the right ones. We need to figure out how to love them and how to do life with them, okay? We still have to be on guard against all the false teachings, all the false prophets, the cults. If you don't know who the cults are, come see me. I've got a list of them. I'll share it with you. There are many things we need to guard against, but when it comes to the denominations, to the non-central practices, I'm going to say that again, the non-central practices of the faith, because they are not central. See, but pastor, we're Baptist. We believe in baptism by immersion. Yeah, we believe it. It's biblical. I mean, that's how people were baptized. But I'll tell you, if somebody was baptized post-conversion and there wasn't a river to dunk them in, I don't care if you spit on them. Counts in my book. What are you going to do? You're in Africa in the middle of nowhere. You have no source of, of water. It, it rains. And somebody's accepted Jesus. Take them out in the rainstorm, right? You're baptized, brother. In the name of Jesus, right? That's not, that's not a central issue. What is the meaning of, of the bread and the wine? I think it's important to remember. I think it's important to, to celebrate. Remember, it's proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. But whether you believe that's the physical body or the... I mean, that's up to you. I, I, I may not agree with you, but I'm not going to question your salvation because of it. You follow me? comes to music selections, or, eh, I don't care. 
we can't let those things divide our hearts from our brothers and our sisters. It's not okay. And our world needs to see it's not okay. The kingdom of God is bigger than we think. So what do we do? I'm going to give you some application this morning that I pray that you'll take to heart. And I, here's the first one. It's like the first step to all recovery. Ready? You need to see that pride is a problem. You need to see pride as a problem. You just have to, have to admit it. Right? That's the first step to, to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Any addict will tell you that. The very first thing you got to do is say, I have a problem. Okay? Can you say that with me this morning? Say, I have a problem. I have a problem, right? I, I tend to be proud. I tend to be proud. I have a tendency towards this, right? We, we, we do. And so the first step, we, we, we have to say, listen, we, we, we like to be noticed. We like to be appreciated. Anybody here doesn't like to be appreciated? Anybody? Okay, if you raise your hand, we can call you a liar. Um, come on, raise your hand. I dare you. No, right? No, I mean, we, we like to be appreciated. We like to be, men especially, ready? Here's the one that kills me, respect, right? I mean, you've, you've heard of the book Love and Respect. Women want to be loved. Men want to be what? Respected. Respect, that's the truth of the matter. Uh, wives, if you don't understand that your husband needs to be respected more than he needs to be loved, you are missing the boat. You're missing the boat. And if you're not respecting him, you're chipping away. But what does that say to me? If I have this great need to be respected, as a guy, this is a struggle for me. Because it shows that somewhere in my heart, I have a tendency, I have a leaning towards pride. It shows me that pride is an issue. Pride is a problem. And guys, here's the deal with pride, okay? I mean, the greatest deal, in my opinion, is just this simple truth. It says the God of the universe, the all-powerful creator, is opposed to it. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to fight somebody, anybody, I don't want to be facing him, right? I mean, I mean, like, I'll face the Philistines, bring on Goliath. I mean, you, anybody else, but I want to be on God's team when we, when we choose sides. You know what I'm saying? I mean, however that, that dodgeball game goes down, like, I just, I want to be on in his camp is where I want to be. And God, is, I'm here to tell you. If we don't deal with our pride, then the truth of the matter, even though we think we're in his camp, he's actually opposing us. You ever thought that life might be really difficult for you right now because God is trying to teach you humility? Ever thought about that one? That maybe the storm you're facing is about God saying, hey, let me have you. Submit to me. Give me everything. God opposes the proud. That's, that, that, uh, it's a problem for us. It's a problem. So we have to admit, we, we, we have to see pride as a problem. Uh, second one, I think the text calls us to, and, and, and one of the main ideas of this text, is that as Christians, we're called to seek the smaller seat. We're called to seek the, the smaller seat. You say, well, what if I'm meant for more? If you're meant for more, God's going to come to you. And he's going to say, hey, I've got a bigger chair. Come over here. But you, your target, your aim should be this. Take the seat of the servant. Let God exalt you. Let God lift you up. Let God be the one. You don't need self-promotion as a Christian. You don't. 
God takes care of that for you. God, by his spirit, is going to let other people see your, your heartfelt motives and desires, okay? So seek the smaller seat. Let him do it. And lastly, number three, uh, I want to challenge you uh, this week to fellowship with other people of faith. To fellowship with other people of faith. Now, that, that's not saying people of other faiths, uh, so to speak, although that's not terrible either. If you've got a Muslim friend or somebody that, and you want to go be Jesus to them, that's, that's, that's fine. But specifically, I'm talking about with other Christians from other denominations, right? Uh, as, as folks that are here at this church, you, you shouldn't have a wall uh, against the people that are over at First United Methodist. Like, you should be doing life with them. Or people that go to the Cowboy Church. Or we, we should be seeking relationships with other Christians. And, and, and it's not to say, you know, we're, we're going, hey, you need to come to our church. I don't, it's, if they're going to a church and, and they're members of, of First United Methodist, that's great. But we're all part of the kingdom of God. We should be doing life together. It, it shouldn't be, you know, mutually exclusive clubs. Here's my club. Here's your club. This is what we're going to... Wait, why, why are you doing vacation Bible school? That's a Baptist thing. No. It's ridiculous, right? So we should be doing life together with other people of faith, with the Presbyterians. With the, right? we, we should be able to love our brothers and sisters and not com- constantly bicker over the things that we don't do, you know, identically but instead talk about the one thing that we all believe in, which is that Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe that, you you believe that no one comes to the Father except by Jesus, we're brothers and sisters. That's who we are. So let's act like it, okay? So here's my challenge this week. If that's you, you know somebody, they go to the Methodist church, they go to the Cowboy church, they go somewhere else. Just call them this week, and, and, and even a conversation will do, Okay? Just love on them, encourage them, say, hey, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? Uh, a step better would be take them out for a cup of coffee, take them out to dinner, invite them to dinner at your house. Just do life with them. Let them know that you're there, that you love them, that you care about them, and that they're important to you, okay? Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father?